All right, friends, are you ready for this? Th- this is a unique podcast because in it, you will see me, well, see me, you will hear me discover my Enneagram number in real time. I literally, ha- I misnumbered myself. I've taken several online tests. Uh, most of them I can't finish because I can't stand the binary either or questions they ask, you know, when you walk into a room, do you want to dominate everybody or curl up in a corner? I'm like, well, kind of neither. Like, I don't have to choose one of those. So I reached out to my friend, Jeff Cook, who is a guru when it comes to the Enneagram. I said, hey, look, I, I want to know what, what number I am. Um, I, I, I hate these tests. And he said, you know what, honestly, the best way to discover your Enneagram number is to have a conversation with somebody who knows the Enneagram and knows what they're doing. So I said, all right, let's do this. Let's, let's just hit record. Let's have that conversation. And I want to discover my number in real time. That's what we're going to do on this episode. If you would like to watch our conversation, you can go to my YouTube channel, Preston Sprinkle, and there's loads of other videos that I keep uploading, um, sometimes almost every other day there. So if you would like more content to actually view, go to Preston Sprinkle. Uh, you, my YouTube channel, President Sprinkle. Um, what else? If you like to support the show, please visit patreon.com forward slash theology in the raw. This is a listener supported podcast, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate the support of those of you who have been uh, faithful listeners. I just, I love getting to know new supporters that, you know, pop in usually every week or so. You get a new supporter. If you would like to become part of that community, you get access to premium content once a month, uh, blogs and podcasts that only my Patreon supporters have access to. There's a lot more of Theology and Raw out there for good or for ill. It's just there and that's the way it is. So if you'd like to support my show, patreon.com forward slash Theology and Raw. Okay, let's discover my Enneagram number and get to know the one and only Jeff Cook. Friends, I am here with my friend Jeff Cook. Um, I don't know if you know this, Jeff, but I actually have two friends named Jeff Cook who live in Colorado. So, <laughs> and and I, I knew him longer than you. Um, but we, so, <laughs> do you remember how we met? I'm going to tell the story, but do you remember? Through- I know that we started a conversation through through the book you did with Chan. That's, yeah. that's my best recollection. Go ahead, though. Okay, so you were blogging on the Doctrine of Hell, uh, advocating for Annihilation View of Hell on Scott McKnight's yep. blog. I think you did like a three-part series. It's yeah. Somehow, this is like when I first even started to even know what a blog was and like <laughs> social media. And somehow I came across like, oh, Jeff Cook is working through Erasing Hell and all this stuff. And I jumped on, long story short, um, at the time I didn't agree with you, <laughs> right? But Come on. you, um, but it was, I mean, it was through reading your, your, your view of hell. I mean, advocating for annihilation and offering some, I think helpful, really humanizing critiques of the book that Chan and I wrote, um, that started me on a journey, uh, where I yeah. ended up now, you know, now we're on the same page with hell, assuming you still are there or have you shifted at all I- or. I am. I haven't done any work on hell since that. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, you may be the only person that actually read my book on that, which was (laughs) everything new. Um, 
which is such a good book. So if, yeah. if I if the Lord Jesus wanted to speak to you through yeah. that two years of worth of work that I did, <laughs> and you were the one. <laughs> that was so, it's so weird how. I mean, you're a really good writer, great thinker, pastor. That book is a really good book, and I and I not just blowing smoke, like and yeah, you said it's like sold hardly like nothing, and it was put out by Zondervan, right? Like a big publisher. It got bought by Zondervan. It did not get put out by Zondervan. Oh, okay. They, uh, yeah. I I got uh, a handful of us got cut all at the same time. Um, another author at the time was writing on hell uh, for Zondervan and also got cut. Oh, and wow. later appeared on the Times 100 Most Influential People list. Who is that? That would be one uh, Robert Bell. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> you catch the illusion. <laughs> um, no, we were – yeah, the – they 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 needed to figure out who they wanted to be as a publishing house and yeah. and uh, I think writing books that were that were you know questioning um, some of the stuff that we were questioning at that time was yeah. wasn't where they wanted to go so okay so, okay so we moved on we're not talking about hell today I don't think maybe <laughs> we could but uh, I'm probably not really interested in doing that but uh, you you reached out to me because I mentioned something I think it was on a podcast or posted something about the Enneagram you're you're yeah what um very knowledgeable the Enneagram are you certified or anything official or you just like know it and use no it and... I've been uh I've been I got real into the Enneagram about four or five years ago I teach philosophy at the University of Northern Colorado been uh and the idea of motive in our uh thinking about ourselves thinking about how we behave, that became real interesting to me. And so I've, I've just really invested a lot of myself in the last few years into Enneagram. And, and I love, obviously, since I'm a pastor and I, I love the Bible, the overlap there is something I, I geek out on. Okay. And and your, your tweet just gave me an excuse <laughs> to say, man, I would love to talk to somebody who knows about hermeneutics okay. and has actually done real study into uh, – you know, the writers of the scripture about this. So this, this is like fresh material for me, okay. but I've always wanted to, to talk shop about uh, Bible writer types. So we are, we are talking shop. We are thinking out loud. We're not writing anything in stone, but it is interesting. I think my tweet yeah. said something like, you know, I think most of the psalmists were Enneagram fours, you know, very, uh, yeah. very creative, artistic, maybe some, and, and I don't know much about the Enneagram, so if I say anything, just please correct me. I won't be offended at all. But like, yeah. in Enneagram yeah. Four, could have lots of highs and lows. You know, um, maybe a um, an unhealthy four would be maybe manic depressive. Would that be accurate to say? Like in the most unhealthy place, or yeah. Un- unhealthy fours will come across as very envious and kind of self. Um, uh, real consumed with themselves. Mm. Um, that could be a two of the signs you said, of unhealth. You said, you said come across, which makes you think that might not be an accurate assessment, but just more how they're portrayed. Is that? Yeah. So one of the things about Enneagram is Enneagram isn't about how the world sees you. It's about how you see the world, which is where typing can become kind of tricky, especially for people who are not in the room, because what you're doing is guessing how they see the world based on their behavior. So if you were wearing green glasses and I was wearing blue glasses um, and 
and we both knew about the other colors and we were saying, and we started asking each other, well, how do you see this? How do I see this? That's more what the Enneagram's like. It's how do you see the world? Um, so we come to the world and experience the world, but some of us, uh, experience kind of a filter of fear. Some of us have a filter of shame. Some of us have a filter of anger in the way that the world strikes us and the way that we interpret the things out there. Um, Enneagram goes in, the, the big idea for those not familiar is that, um, there, this system called the Enneagram just wants to say something to the extent of there's really just nine types of big things that everybody wants. Mm. Everybody could probably get categorized into wanting one of nine big things. And those big things are we want to um, be good. We want to be loved. We want to be uh, to excel. We want to um, be unique. We want to be knowledgeable. We want to be safe. We want to be on an adventure. We want to be in control and strong or we want to be at peace and that at the end of the day when we when the rubber meets the road we have to make a big decision um one of those motives will come out more than all the others okay and it affects how we see the world i've always wondered where did it, where did it come from do we know is it because it dates yeah the origins go way back right of the enneagram i like i like thinking about the enneagram like music um if you look at music theory you discover that there are 12 notes. Those 12 notes have been there. And okay. uh, the, the way that the, the way that reality is structured, um, those notes are discovered across cultures. And what ended up happening with Enneagram is you, you see it emerging and being discovered in very different cultures at very different points in time. It's one of the reasons I think it pings for me as true. So, so um, you'll see it in South America, but you'll also see it in Homer, and you'll see it in references in the early Christian church when they start doing work on virtue and the deadly sins. Um, and it, 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 it just begins to show its face everywhere. How do you see it in Homer? Like what so obviously he's not saying yeah. I'm an Enneagram four or whatever. Like what, what, <laughs> what aspect so of the Enneagram I, is in Homer right? or the, and the early to, church? I need to look at that more, but I've heard tell from Chris Heritz that, um, who's a thinker on this, that the adventures of Homer break down into nine different adventures and each of them correspond very cleanly to each of the Enneagram types. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Um, Okay, so we're going to get into the biblical authors, the uh-huh. Enneagram, and how this could possibly help us understand and even interpret biblical authors. Before we did that, you promised that you were going to help me to discover my own Enneagram type. So here, on. here on Theology Nara Live, I have tried <laughs> to take a few tests. Um, the last time I tried, um, and apparently it was a really good test. It was a lengthy one. Yeah. I just I couldn't get through it because I felt like, I wanted to say none of the above to the two binary questions that were thrown at me. Also, I've taken enough personality tests that I know the personality they're searching for. So sure, it's like sure, it's sure. domineering, you know, versus passive aggressive or whatever it is, you know. Um, and then the question, I can, I'm like, I already know what they're trying to ask. So I'm already feel like I can't, I, I, it's already, I'm already 
tempted to give an answer that you know of what I maybe want to be and not what I really am. And I'm like, most of these two questions I get, are you this or that? I'm like, well, I'm neither of them. Like, if, if those are two options, I'm just going to say neither. So it's hard sure. for me to finish this test, which may even <laughs> give evidence for my Enneagram type <laughs> that I resist hey. binaries. I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, let's let's put let's let's put that on on the side. I would love to come back to why do you resist binaries once we yeah. get into this. But the it is the case for those listening. Uh, tests often are wrong about 60% of the time. Um, it's you, It really is the case. A lot of, a lot of folks who get into Enneagram want to say it, it's best just to talk to people who have really been familiar with, with the system for a little while. Oh, really? Um, so sometimes, that's, sometimes that's not abnormal. Tests it, work. Okay. No, it's really common for a test to get it wrong. Um, mm. And one of the things that's real – that I have noticed is it's Enneagram is not a quick fix. It's one of those things you really have to dive into. But when you do, for me, it has, you know, I have an autistic child. Um, my, my wife and I are very different. I have a, our, our youngest is, um, a very withdrawn personality and the Enneagram has just been gold for us really? in terms of understanding where everyone's coming from and meeting them in what they need most. Mm -hmm. So my autistic child doesn't want to be controlled and that is a primary. Um, but they also never do what we ask them to do because they don't want to be controlled and being able to navigate where, how they see the world and what they want has been really essential for us mm -hmm. in having a healthy relationship and having a, you know, a peaceful home. Um, my wife is a type that longs to be praised. Um, I am a type that would naturally think, well, that's self selfish, you know, that's, that's real, um, self aggrandizing, but her motive comes out of this place where she wants to get the attention of others. And that's a primary for her. Mm -hmm. So if I know that that's just who she is and not some, you know, personality defect, mm -hmm. That can be real helpful for us. Whereas my type wants to be right, and so I'll argue things to the nth degree, and th that can be healthy and unhealthy. But um, it's because I don't want to be corrupted in my thinking, and that's a primary for me. And she meets me in those places. This is where this is healthy. This is where this is unhealthy. Anyway, okay. So, but let's talk about you. Okay, go for it. Um, there, uh, a first question would, would be how you get things that you want. Are you the sort of person who is aggressive about getting things that you want? Like you come out demanding them. Are you the sort of person that withdraws to get the things that you want? You, you feel comfortable taking a big step back or when you walk into a room, are you looking to say, who can I help in this space? Cause I can, I can earn the thing that I want. So demand, earn, withdraw. Ooh, see, that's tough. I not demand. Um, okay. let me, let me think through this. Um, there's certain things I want to get that I get what I want, but I don't like tramp. Let me, can, is it better if I kind of just talk through it rather than say, yeah. Yep. So, um, I'm the type of person that I can lead. I don't love the lead. I don't definitely don't need to lead. I would get frustrated in a room. If everybody's sitting around, and there's no direction. It's like, well, Hey, well, like what, what's, what's going on here? but I don't need to come in and command attention or demand something. Um, I'm competitive with myself, but I don't like if I'm playing basketball and somebody's really aggressive and needs to win, I'll just let them win. I'm like, I, it's not like, I don't, it doesn't, 
I'm totally fine losing a basketball game, losing a, anything really. Um, if somebody else really needs to like do it. So, and I don't, I don't get none of my identities wrapped up into that, but yeah, I am very competitive with myself. I feel like, um, uh-huh. if I, you know, go on a run, I can care less if I'm running faster than the next person, but I want to get better than my last time, you know, or, or, and you can replicate that throughout many different areas of my life. Um, <laughs> Do you feel a strong um, motive to improve yourself? Uh, for the most part, yes. Like, and, are you, are you really aware of your diet? Yes. Yeah. Are like you the really old, aware? The older I get, the more I'm like, man, it's so easy to put on weight and to get out of shape, and it's like, oh man, I so I work extra hard to like uh, to diet well to whatever. But I also have this pleasure impulse too. And this kills me when I travel. Like when I travel, I probably eat like the worst, just fried everything, whatever. <laughs> but then I get back and I'm like, ah, I feel guilty. And I'm like, all right, nothing but salads for a week, you know. Um, so I do have – I'm not like an ascetic. Like I do like um, the pleasures of life. I do like comfort naturally. Um, I do love good food and everything. But then it's this constant battle of like improving myself and yet giving in to my pleasures, you know. Um, sure. Does that help? Do you, okay. do you find – it it certainly does. Okay. Um, do you find do you find that you experience um, more anger or fear? Oh man! Of those two options, here we go. The um, yeah, I, I or shame. Shame. Do, would you let me let me back up? Mm. I'm 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 going too quickly. No, no. Uh, if 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 um, do you do you find that you experience anger, fear, or shame more as kind of an underlying feeling? I, I want to say shame. I might need to tease that out. I, I'm not a yeah. I'm not angered very easily, and yet, like for instance, when I played baseball back in the day, and this comes with a self competitive thing. When I mm-hmm. didn't do well. I was a volcano of anger, but only on myself. Like I would literally go and, and take the baseball helmet. Like if I struck out and just be smashing it over my head, like I even, um, one time I went and went hog wild in a, in a little porta potty bathroom. I got out, people were like, what in the world happened? So I wasn't angry at anybody else, just myself because I didn't hit the ball a mile, you know, <laughs> I might yeah. have gotten a hit, but it wasn't like a good hit. So I got really angry at myself. Um, but I, with other people, I rarely, get angry at situations, other people. Like, I just don't understand the people that are just, you know, always flying off the handle. Like, I don't, you know, most people who know me, I, I'm almost positive to say, I've never seen you angry. You know, like, well, <laughs> crack open my heart. There's, there's more anger there than you think, but it's definitely not a... Could it be that your anger is directed inward at yourself? Yes. For example, do you find that you are, you will replay conversations yes. in your mind about what you could have done better? So last night I was up for three hours in the middle of the night because I gave a webinar last night on sexuality with a lot of Q and a, and almost yeah. I was reflecting on the answers I gave. And I was like, almost like freaking out, like, Oh, that wasn't accurate. That was misleading. Or did I really say that? Like, I don't think that's like, yeah. that could be, and I literally was up from like three until five in the morning. Could not, I mean, you know, just wide awake. And I kept getting these cold sweats of like, it was more like, so maybe it is a shame because part of me is like, what are people going to think of me? Do they think that was too liberal or too conservative or are they going to tweet mm. that? And like, is that going to, um, how's that going to come back to me? But also like, how's that going to mislead them to not help somebody else the way I think they should be helped? So it's partly, it's like an internal shame and partly it's like, I do feel this urge that I want 
what I'm doing to be helpful for the people. And if I, if I make a mistake and it ends up not being helpful, then I feel like really discouraged about that. Do you like being the the overseer of your own business, your own ministry it's, as no. opposed to working for a church? My, my, um, yes and no. So <laughs> I love, I, I, I don't, it'd be really hard for me to work for like a boss. That's telling me like, you need to be here and do this. Do that. Like I like, being in control of my time, what I'm doing, my interests, how all this stuff at the same time, like managing an organization stresses me out. Like part of me, my dream scenario would be to have an executive director that basically runs all the, all the nitty gritty, all this stuff. Like I have no desire to expand it, to grow it, whatever. I just yeah. want the freedom to do what I enjoy doing. What I feel like I'm gifted at doing, not worry about all the details. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to be told, all right, nine to five, you're coming in, you're doing this. I'm like, no, what if I don't want to come in at nine? What if I want to come in at five? You know? <laughs> right. Um, right. So it's, it's a hard balance. I, I love, so I love being kind of my own boss at the same time. It does stress me out in ways that I'm like, I would, yeah, somebody else take this over. I'd be fine. As long as I get to do what I want to do. <laughs> right. Which is hard. You can't, it's um, almost like, well, you got to pick one or the other. You can't have it both ways. All of your answers point point towards the same type in my mind, so I'm just going to jump in okay. and just tell me if this sounds right to you. So one of the types is is the one. The one is the reformer. Ones are natural teachers. Ones um, are idealists who seek a world where everything is as it should be. Um, very aware of um, when things are wrong or flawed. Um, they want to make them better. Um, ones naturally improve things. So, um, for the, the spaces that you ones care about, they will naturally see this is how this could get a little bit better. Um, the, the telltale sign for ones is that they have what, what many will describe as an inner critic. It's almost like a voice in their head saying, this is where you messed up. Mm. And, um, and so I, that's my type as well. And really? I would, and when, as I was thinking through just what I'm familiar with in your work, I would have guessed a one or a three, um, just depending on why you do what you do. Um, is it the case, for example, that you jump into these hard questions, violence, sexuality, hell, are you jumping into those because you're getting attention from the church or are you jumping into those because you want to move the church a little bit? further in their their thinking yeah. and their sanctification you know what i mean i that's clear to me it's totally the latter like if i never yeah. was on stage to speak again i would be a happy camper i don't not only do i not need or want a platform to me it's like it just stresses me out i'd rather sit in my basement and yeah change the world for you know without like somebody else take the credit i could care less you know um yeah so ones are going to be generally systematic thinkers. Yeah, yeah. That is, we'll spend a ton of time yes. on the systems because the systems, ones actually, so I'm a one also, I teach philosophy, but ones are thinking repressed. That is, we feel, ones feel things really strongly and then their head catches up later. And so systems are real helpful because there's like, well, if I get the right system, then I can have a mental map of the things that are most important so that I don't mess things up. So, go ahead. And and anyway, that that's how I navigate the world. And this is probably why you and I, when we converse, 
about things, which, by the way, for you podcast listeners, Preston and I have the best material on talking about the ethics of queer sexuality that is out there. I have looked at it all. Ours is the best. Um, But you and I are real interested in getting this question right. Mm -hmm. And we are motivated to get it right. Mm -hmm. We're more than happy to be proven wrong, but we're we're creating a system Mm -hmm. whereby we're we can think about what healthy sexuality looks like. So, and that's. Go I was going to say that the reason why I thought it was a five, from the little I know, is that I'm hyper, just analytical. It's and as far as my own self introspection, introspection. Yeah. Um. I like. I don't feel like I'm led by emotion. Like I'm one of the few uh, people yep. who believe in annihilation. That it's not really like if God, if ECT, if God wants to torment people forever and ever, then so be it. Like I, it really doesn't almost to a fault, like bother me yep. because that's what God said. That's what God said. That's, you know, like my grandma said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Like I, that res, I resonate with that kind of God's God. I'm not, what are the facts? Just show me the facts. Give me the evidence and I'll go yep. where that leads. At least that's by how I, I think I'm thinking. So isn't that more of a five than a one? Like, I don't feel like I'm leading. It can be. Or, Ones and fives are real similar on this front. Ones, threes, and fives will all shut down their emotions in order to solve problems. Yes, yes. Ones are going to focus on what is right to do or believe. Fives are going to say, what is the data? And those are slightly different. But one is going to be very principled and one's going to be very evidential. Um, And they do it out of different motives. The one wants to um, not feel spoiled inside, doesn't want to be corrupted by bad thinking. That's not what the five wants. The five wants security and wants to feel safe. If I have the right information, then I will be secure and have the resources I need to, to, to be comfortable in the world. That's what a five oh, would think. Interesting. So there is, there's, yeah, there's an overlap there. Yes. Yeah. Some differences. Um, fives, yeah. uh, ones will want to try to convince people of their view. Okay. Fives will want to disturb people with <laughs> data. Um, ones can be very practical in their thinking. This is what this means for us behavior wise. Fives can often be very impractical. They can go down the rabbit trail of, you know, very nuanced issues that just don't have any practicality. So I, um, I, can, I can I can resonate with both those really. There's, yeah. Do you, Do you find yourself uh, your thinking more of a judgmental thinking or non-judgmental thinking? Yeah, I I and I'm trying to be really honest. I think it's non yeah. non-judgmental. Like I try to, like if I disagree with somebody, I want to work hard to give them the benefit of the doubt. And if I sense a genuine quest on their part, then I'm fine with the disagreement. Like I don't need to convince them of my view. Uh, if I, I do get frustrated when I feel like they don't have good reasons for holding to their view or whatever, or if they're not willing to kind of look at the evidence or the truth, if they're, um, yeah, don't have good reasons for their view, even then I don't need to convince yeah. them. I don't feel like at all costs, I'm going to keep going. I'm like, but I just like get a, more annoyed than anything. Um, yeah. I don't feel like I judge. It's a, I don't think it's a judgmental, um, like, I don't know if I resonated with the, the, the one being high, like, this is the right thing to do. That sounds bad, right? Of course I should be, but I, no, I mean, um, to me, the almost, by the way, that was just contradictory right there. You <laughs> should... <laughs> yes. Oh, that's so funny. God. 
the uh, let me tell you some stuff. Let me tell you some stuff about fives. It may be the case here. Five again. I can't tell you what your what color your glasses are. Right. So okay. that would be yeah. that would be a big part of this. Um, fives are going to withdraw for security. They're going to be very aware of what they possess because their possessions will make them safe. So fives are going to struggle naturally with greed and hoarding. Um, they're going to be thinking about resources quite a bit. Fives are going to use, are going to hoard knowledge in mm. particular to, and that's why data matters. Data will keep you safe, especially when it's divorced from, you know, from your, from your, uh, interpretations as it were the um fives will um struggle to 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 get into their bodies action their action repressed where ones are thinking repressed that is um the last thing for a five is to engage their body with the with the knowledge they have um what does that mean engage your body with i don't understand that um, some, some types fours, fives, and nines will all come across as slightly lazy, um, because for different reasons. Um, but the fives in particular will oftentimes struggle with thinking about themselves cause they're always thinking about the world out there. Um, the, uh, but they know what to do. Fives often know what to do but just have a hard time starting the process of doing it. That's right. They, Cause they're constantly just thinking, thinking they can't actually launch out until they have all the data kind of, yeah, that's yeah. not me. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I know that personality type from other tests and stuff. I'm like, yeah, I've never been, I'm the type of person that like when a book is like 80% there, like let's just, or a blog, it's like, yeah, let's get it out there, you know, move on to something else. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I've done enough research, whatever. Um, so I wouldn't resonate with the five there where I do feel like I resonate with what you said is, uh, and this maybe deals with the shame piece and maybe this would make me a one. I don't know. Um, like if I'm dealing publicly with a controversial issue, I just, I, I, I'm so like go out of my way to try to get every single fact straight so that yep. when I, um, articulate my view there's no chance that somebody's going to say something i haven't thought of or sort of even maybe shame me like in the moment we're like oh my gosh i haven't thought about that and he's like how, how do you not think about that like i want to think about everything before yep. i even go public so there is that thoroughness in that sense and yet but then like i just said like sometimes i'll write a blog where i'm like yeah i'm probably 80 sure of this let's get it out there stir the pot a little bit so i don't know i, I yeah it's going to come back to motive on that front is it because you don't want to be spoiled or seen as a bad thinker or is it um fives their motive for okay scholarship is going to be different um fives are going to want to um cover their bases so that yeah. they can um occupy the space they want to occupy and feel you know again and feel safe given the knowledge that they have. I don't know. I have to think about the safety when you've said that a few times, you'll know, feel safe with the yeah. knowledge. I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure if that's me or not. It might be, it might not be. I'd have to like really think about it. Maybe that yeah. reveals my, my type that I need to really think about it. Uh, that, that, I, that's something I say all the time on exactly that front. It's because it's not, it's not just immediate. Um, I'm not, so, I'm not a good identifier of, 
my like my emotions and everything like i need somebody else to kind of really draw out these things you know i'm not very in touch with myself if you know really do you well talk about that like uh what what would be an example of emotions that you don't feel like you're in touch with um I don't know what, like my wife's a big feeler. Um, and okay. so whenever she asks me like, well, how do you feel about that? How do you, whatever, like what's going on inside? I'm like, I don't even know how to, I don't know. I just, I, I have something due by five o'clock and I'm going to get it done and there's bills to pay. And it, like, I just, the, the, the facts of needing to get stuff done um, over like that just, it's irrelevant how I feel about it or, you know, whether I'm struggling with it or not. Sure. You know? Um is it the case that it's putting language to that is what's last or but i mean you feel certain ways it's just the articulating how you feel yeah no and i'm I'm not ashamed i'm I'm free i'll talk about my emotions i just don't know what questions to ask or what you know but if someone can draw it out i'm happy to lay it out try to be honest with it um that yeah just Everything, everything you're saying strikes me as one-ish material. So <laughs> let me tell you about like myself on that. Like I will overshare about certain things um, to an uncomfortable point because I don't want there to be something bad inside of me. Okay. If I can put it out here and talk about it, then clearly it's out of me. I've confessed it. We are, we're all aware that I, I may have some defects, but now they're outside. They're out here and – I don't feel bad, you know, like I'm, yeah. I don't feel like I'm keeping a secret or something. Yeah. Um, so that's real, that's real common for me. Yeah. Um, like I don't mind talking about my faults if somebody asked me whatever, like it doesn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I, yeah, I think I resonate. With, I'm trying to, yeah. Well, if what, you were, what about if you, extrovert introvert? But, is that, does that play uh, into this or is that kind of cut across all the numbers? Is that not? It, it, some of the numbers are more inc- more uh, likely to be extroverted than introverted, but it, it generally it cuts across the okay. numbers. Okay. So, uh, do you find what do you find for yourself? I- introvert. I'm an introvert who yeah. can function as an extrovert, but like I can be by myself in my basement with a pa- stack of books for two weeks, and I'd be totally totally fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. Like quarantine has it. Uh, it's almost scary that quarantine <laughs> literally has it. Like I haven't even like. There's been no, like, it's been great. Like I haven't even, you know, apart from, you know, the pandemic and all the unknowns and everything, but like, yeah, person like relationally wise, it's like been great, man. I'm here in my office. I got tons of books behind me and, um, yep. you know, but then I do like, I enjoy this. I, I'm, I've been talking all day to people on zoom and it, I'm energized by it too, but I, it's like, I don't, I feel like I, I can be energized by good conversations, relationships, but if they're not deep and meaningful, I don't need like people around. And even if they are deep and meaningful, I can get by without, without them. So. I don't know. Yeah, that you you described my life, right? <laughs> I, you and I are the same person. That's just how the, the, that's entirely. You can't podcast listeners can't see this, but both of us have this enormous bookshelf of books behind <laughs> yeah. us. And by the way, a lot of them are the same books. Oh, I'm so, I told you, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm seeing the NT Wright section. Oh here, yeah, I see Jesus the and the Victory of God. On see, your, I got, oh, it's yeah. so good. Oh, and you got the <laughs> yeah, the Baker Action Yeah, I'm admiring. You we got... can talk shop about <laughs> all the great the it's, great library that we have. That's so funny. Uh, you want to hear some good news? Yes, yes. Give me some good news. <laughs> the Apostle Paul is a one. Is that your say? Is that our segue into the biblical authors? <laughs> <laughs> it could be. All right. So you I feel... got something for you as a as a pitch. Yeah. 
what you'll you'll know this is one of the most important uh, events in the history of the early church is the fight between Paul and Peter. Yeah. You'll know this from Galatians. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that doesn't appear in Acts, does it? I'm trying to think of that now. No, not explicitly, but it's kind of like on the eve of the Jerusalem council or before or after whatever the debate is. Um, yeah. Yeah. Why Paul gets mad and why Peter takes a big step back from the, the Gentiles he had been apparently eating with, that's going to come out of motive. Why are you, why is it that Paul gets so cranked up is worth talking about? And why is it that Peter feels the need to take this big step back when, when the entourage from James come. And so one of the things we might talk about there, and this might be a segue into, cause you can yeah. then start talking about Paul's influence on Luke, Paul's influence, uh, Paul's writing of his epistles, um, and Peter's influence on Mark and Peter's writing of his own epistles. Um, their motives come out in, in that space. Paul's real interested in what is right and what the world should look like, specifically what the church should look like. And he is a very idealistic, and this is a, very, this is a one-ish practice. Paul is a reformer. He's a teacher, um, uh, wants to embody the goodness of God. Um, and when he sees this thing that's not right, he gets very angry about it. And it's it's an anger that's a frustrated anger. You talked about that with yourself in basketball a second ago, but the frustrated anger baseball, is how baseball. it baseball, sorry. That's how it materializes for ones. Peter throughout the gospels is a very fearful person. Yeah. And sometimes that spills over as cowardice and sometimes that spills over as reckless. But, um, I would want to type Peter as a six. Sixes are often called the loyalist. Um, they have a radar for all the things that might go wrong. Um, that, but they have an underlying feeling of fear and they connect and attach to people who give them safety. And, and we could talk about Peter in a minute, but it seems to me that this is what's going on in that confrontation is Peter has attached to his Jewish tradition, to the view of Jesus and his experience of Jesus. And this is a place where things are unstable. The sixes are really aware of rules because if they break rules, they're going to lack the stability of the tribe. Um, Paul is real comfortable questioning rules. Are these the right rules? Are these good rules? You can get rid of some rules if they don't line up with the system that's actually in place. Yeah, that's and so me. when he, had, that's totally me. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> So notice how Paul's thinking on circumcision and dietary laws would play into his oneness. It's um, the big thing, the good thing, the thing that defines the system is Christ crucified. Mm -hmm. And it has an effect on everything, which includes the restrictions that we have. Now, some restrictions may not be applicable anymore. They may have been done away with because of what Jesus has has done and accomplished. In fact, what Jesus has done and accomplished on the cross is create a whole new world where everything is as it should be. And the idealistic side of Paul comes out there. Peter's not an idealist. Hmm. Peter, Peter is never pitching ideals in that way. Peter is telling us how to wrestle with our fears um, in his epistles. It's like, you guys are suffering. Let's let's walk through how we are attached to Jesus the Lord over creation. Um, mm. And 
in this situation, both Paul, Paul is coming out with anger. Peter is coming out with fear. And that, that may be a description of what's going on in that, you know, in Paul's telling of that confrontation. Long story short, when reading the Bible, this may be a great tool for understanding what's going on in the hearts and minds of the authors and the characters involved. Yeah, keep going because this is fascinating. Because I, I, I mean, when you were describing Peter and Paul, from what I know about them in the Gospels and the letters, I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, that, that, that's, um, it's, I, this clearly makes sense. And even when they clash, helps us to understand why they clash and and how they clash and why Peter with you know he withdrew from meeting the Gentiles out of fear for the circumcision party, right? So there's that fear piece. Yeah. Um, and Paul does seem – I'm trying to think right now. He does seem to be principally driven, and yet it must fit into the system if it doesn't make sense. Oh, can you give us an example of where he would be – maybe be like, yeah, that's a stupid rule. Like, <laughs> um, Yeah. Um, I mean, it's all over the place in terms of critiquing – the Judaizers mm-hmm. is real easy and natural for Paul. Your rules just don't work. Okay. You know, or, or critiquing Roman culture. So Romans one, he's going to say, here's all the things that are super dysfunctional about your society. Right. He's and it's just judgment just comes real naturally to him in terms of here's where things are spoiled in your culture. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, or, or in first Corinthians, he's like, like this, I, I love you all. You guys are my brothers and sisters. Let me tell you where, where things are just not going right. Yeah. And that would naturally be the heart of it. You know, ones are going to be that teacher sanctifying spirit. I want you to get better. Specifically, I want you to get better morally. And that's just all Paul's writings. Oh. It's let me tell you the system and here's what you should do about it. And what about the whole like he's very aware of his own sin. I mean, in his last yep. letter, I'm the chief of all or second to last, whatever, yep. chief of all sinners. Like I when I read that, I'm like, oh, I totally resonate with that. Like the older I get, the more I'm like, am I even a Christian anymore? <laughs> you know, just that yeah. that's constant self-criticism. Um the stuff in what Romans, I want to say Romans six and seven, mm-hmm. um, the, why do I do the things I don't want to do kind of stuff? Um, it, it's his anger at himself is going to come out frequently. I think you're right. I'm the worst of sinners. What I beat my body. I make it a slave. That, that, that's the kind of language that would come out of a one. I want to be morally mm-hmm. as good as possible. And this is where his theology comes into play and what this is – here's here's the thing I really wanted to pitch to you and see what you thought about this. His articulation of the gospel comes out of his oneness because he realizes he can't get to the perfection, to the idealistic standards he has for himself morally. That pushes him to understand the cross in a certain light. And when he realizes I can't get there on my own – that actually, that is where his theories of justification really come to the surface. And it's like, but Jesus Christ has done this for me, and therefore I am good. And that's what ones need to hear more than anything else. Ones need to hear from the living God, you are good. Mm-hmm. And you just see that all over Paul's writings when he's really connecting with that message. That's not necessarily what the other types need to hear. Mm-hmm. But you see that a lot with Paul, by the way. I would argue that Martin Luther is also a one. 
And I would argue that John Calvin is probably a one as well. And that message from Paul, they discover that message and Paul elevate it and create a, you know, a, a reformation out of it. So do you think that certain personality types are drawn to certain biblical authors, certain portions of scripture that, yep. that see, that have the same lens on that they do? They're like, oh, I totally resonate yep. with that, that way of seeing the world. Absolutely. So I bet you, you, I mean, you're a Pauline scholar, yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm not even consciously aware of the possible like subconscious resonance I had with Paul. For me, it was more just like, I, I don't know. I was really wanting to figure out the question of Paul and the law and wanted to, so I, yeah, I don't, I don't know, but I do, I do resonate when, when you're, when you're highlighting the, the different, one clear one kind of personality traits of Paul. I'm, I'm like, Oh yeah, I totally resonate with that. Like the, you know, chief of all sinners and, and just the kind of like, I'll, I'll totally uphold the rule as long as it kind of makes sense and fits into this Christocentric system, you know? Um, what about Romans 13? Obey okay. governing authorities. Yeah. Like that doesn't feel very one-ish, does it? I mean, there's, uh, there's so many things going on there, but I mean, that's a classic text of like, <laughs> Paul just was like patriotic and, you know, uh, submitting to Rome and well, all this stuff. Have, having listened to your podcast here recently, <laughs> as I was prepping for this, I've realized that you're very interested right now in how should you navigate government and theology in this very, yeah. you know, chaotic time it's all it, this is i i find myself getting into way more discussions fights arguments um than i ever have at this point in time and i imagine it's the case that romans 13 follows cleanly out of that have you seen scott mcknight's book on on romans that he just put out reading romans backwards no 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 i need to check it out it's, is it... it's really good okay he 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 says we if you read Romans back, backwards, yeah. uh, 16 of it, okay. the, it's a different book. It, yeah. You see the issues that Paul is actually seeking to, to highlight um, anyway. But one of them is how do we, you know, he's obviously writing to the church in Rome. Right. So you, the, so to the church in Washington, D.C., who serves under, under this government, how should you think about the government? And his pitch in 13 is – Jesus is Lord. That's the whole point of yeah. Romans one. And it's, you know, it's the point of Romans eight is the, the, the true Lord is the Lord Jesus. And therefore feel free to obey the authorities because they serve at the command of the living Christ who is resurrected. I think that that's how I would think about that, totally. but he has a system for getting there. Right. Yeah. Okay. And that now, makes sense. Yeah. 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 Like for me, like I, you know, I don't know. There's many examples I can get. Like, for the, so I live in Boise. Most of you guys know. Um, and we have the, first of all, the worst traffic or not traffic, but like the worst driving rules, like these wide open country <laughs> roads, the speed limits, like 35 miles an hour. And when you're on okay. a wide open country road, you feel like you're walking. I'm like, this is a stupid speed limit. I'm going to go 50, yeah. 55 because that's how fast you should be going. This doesn't make any sense. That a four lane road with no, you know, I'm going to go 35, like how much time I'm going to waste, you know? Um, 
I don't know. Yeah. I, it, it, but then there's other rules where I'm like, yeah, that, that actually makes sense. You know, uh, there's barbed wire. Somebody paid for this property. Don't trespass. I'm like, OK, cool. Yeah, whatever. Other other ones are like, well, who even lives here? Like, why why can't I go walk there? You know, I'm just going on a hike. You know, <laughs> you, this would be a one ish thing. You don't want rules that will control you that are dumb. Exactly. That aren't exactly. good rules. And this is OK. So, so th- this is why maybe my ongoing uh, maybe. I'll, I'll I'll pitch myself in good light here. My my holy discontent with the way we do church. Yes. Okay. How's that? Instead of yeah. like a grumpy you know church goer, but like a lot of time I just I'm constantly asking why this, why that, what is this producing? Does this affecting the mission or discipleship? We spent this much money on that. Well, how, okay, show me how that's more the most effective way to spend money. If you can't show it to me, then. I'm not going to be really motivated to give to that or even like be excited about that. So when you have layers of that stuff going on at church, it's kind of like constantly kind of frustrating, you know, we're singing this worship set and nobody's singing. Nobody seems to be into it. So either it's your problem. It's the people's problem. Either way, like we're just going to sit here and stare forward while people sing. And like, there's a problem here. Let's uh, fix it. You know, (laughs) the ones here's the, here's the big thing. Like ones want to embody the wholeness, the goodness of God, that's that that is that is our image bearingness. All the Enneagram types um, bear the image of God in different ways in my mind. You have have a natural gift to see things improved, to 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 see things made better. Mm-hmm. In that 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 is how you reflect God in the world. Something that okay. we all need more ones in our life that are healthy that can actually have a radar for, I'm not sure that this is good. Here's how it could be better. Okay. That's a great gift well, to, okay. to the church, to I, the world. Well, I'm all excited now, but I, I need to, so uh, I want to know a couple of things. So what, what do I have a wing is aren't there wings? And also what's an unhealthy one? Like what, what are my yeah. unhealthy patterns I need to be aware of? Yeah. Um, wings are just part of the Enneagram. If you were to look at the symbol, that's like the thing that people think is a satanic symbol, but it's just a bunch of lines. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> or a your, rush your album. number is, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> um, each of the numbers is next to another number. Ones are next to twos and nines. And what all it means is to get balance in your life, you can often push into one side or the other. So you're idealistic about how things should be, but sometimes you push towards your nine side, which is a peacemaker side. You, yeah. You're going to pacify your need to make everything perfect right now. That that can be one way that you balance your primary motive okay. in addiction. On the other side, ones can become very self-focused and like this needs to be exactly this way and, and other people's feelings and emotions be damned. But you'll realize that doesn't get you what you want and sometimes you'll push towards your two. Twos are the helper and they're very aware of the feelings of other people. And so sometimes you might push that way to ju- wings are about balance. That's, you should imagine a bird. That's, that's fascinating because when you're describing the, the nine, I'm like, Oh yeah, I, I could tend to like the peacemaker. I'm like, I do resonate with the peacemaker. Like I, I hate confrontation. I am unity. Like I, especially when I, you know, and this, you know, for good or for ill and in, in, in my work in the sexuality conversation, I feel like when I'm like, I, um, I, I want to see the kind of good in other different viewpoints or whatever. And then you meet somebody 
I mean, you and I are on different pages on this. And look at us. And yep. you know, you would probably hardly even yep. tell because I know you as a person, and I, you know, value everything you say. And um, so, and the the, the the two, um, oh, what what did you say? You said something about the two that. Would you say about the two wing two, that that really resonated with whatever? Two, twos are helpers. Oh yeah, and they they naturally want to embody the the love of God, and they are very focused on the feelings and emotions of others. Ones, if they're perfectionistic, can can get no 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 this the system this the system and how it needs to be. But you'll realize that doesn't work and get you what you want all the time. You need to push yeah. into the emotional life of others, and that that wing can be helpful. There. So I could resonate with that. There are times when I'm like, I'm just so oblivious and could care less about the emotions of others. And other times where I'm like, yep. so overwhelmed, like I'm like so in tune that they just like, you know, helping somebody or, you know, if somebody's not is suffering or not feeling well or feels persecuted or oppressed, that really energizes me to help fix that. But then, yeah, but other yep. times I'm like, just, I can cut myself off from emotions. Of others. Um, that you you used a buzzword for ones. It's the fix. Ones want to fix things, and you yeah. will you'll have a natural radar for this could be better. Okay. This this could be improved. This could be. But it it shows you to be a quality person if you are able to empathize with the people around you. Really unhealthy ones can um get their their project their thing. Um, Calvin is a good example of this. Here's the thing that I want to create. I'll burn some people to get there. You know, I mean, at his worst, you know, there might be all sorts of great things about Calvin and Calvin's thought. Nobody, you know, everybody's got a shadow and that comes out in unhealthy ways at times. But that's an extreme example of that. I mean, Hitler's probably a one. He wants to have a perfect race. He wants to have a perfect country and we need to eliminate all those people who spoil that vision and that's a deeply toxic way of expressing his uh reformer perfectionist side into the world what's so, the, what's the tradition so like when you think of like type a personality or on the disc profile yeah. the high d the dominance the need to lead you know they like to confront yeah. but can't stand to be confronted you know who what number is that personality is that fit one number? yeah a lot a lot of eights are of, of that sort. Eights, uh, my oldest child is an eight, and the the um, not wanting to be controlled means often that there are, there eights anger where one's anger goes inward, eights anger goes outward, yeah. and they create boundaries. They under they navigate the world and understand the world by really pushing hard into the world. Okay, okay, and so it'd be something like that. So some on the Twitter feed, some people said Paul. A lot of people said Paul's an eight. I don't know if you saw the. Yeah. So you would say. That- yeah. Well, I would say it. It, it again. Uh, we you. This is where things get tricky. Is you can't uh, judge somebody or figure out somebody's type based on behavior. But all we have is is kind of their behavior and words and mm-hmm. their own self understanding and expression. Um, stuff that I don't see in Paul is. Um, well, let me think about this. Eights. Let me talk. Let's talk about eights. I mean, actually, let me tell you a Bible writer who I think is an eight, and then we could discuss how they might be different. Um, I think. I think the uh, Isaiah, or specifically Second Isaiah. How do you say this? Deutero Isaiah. Deuter- do you get into Deuter- that material? Isaiah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Second Isaiah. So the writer. 
the writer of Isaiah 40 through 63 strikes me as an eight, very aware of power dynamics. Um, eights long to embody the strength of God. Um, eights uh, have an underlying feel, feeling of anger, like I said, that goes outwards. Um, they do not want to be controlled. So much of Isaiah, the backside of Isaiah, is about how Israel's going to be liberated. Mm-hmm. And that is that is coming out of the heart of this writer. And so right from the beginning in Isaiah 40, every valley you know, it's going to be raised up and the mountains are going to be made low and the sovereign Lord is going to come with power and his arm is going to rule. That's the voice of an eight. It's very justice oriented, very, um, the princes of this world are going to be brought to nothing. You know, the, the Lord Yahweh sits, you know, enthroned above the circle of the earth and everyone else is a grasshopper, very aware of power dynamics. Um, and you'll notice how Isaiah 40 ends. It's with the weary and those who lack strength being, you know, they're going to increase their power. You know, mm. um, he's going to bind up. What is it? Uh, you're going to run on wings like eagles. What is the? I need to go watch Chariots of Fire again. Yeah, run. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Run with. Uh, oh, now you screwed me up. Um, yeah. At the, <laughs> at the end of Isaiah 40, I think 40 is 26, whatever. Um, the the big thing that where ones need to hear you are good, eights need to hear I will not betray you. And they specifically need to hear that from God. And when you read Isaiah, that's what you see. You see a God who is not going to betray you. And Isaiah is even going to picture that God as a suffering servant. He's going to picture that God as, you know, as, as Yahweh, who is going to, 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 to see heaven and earth overlap and that it's, uh, you should, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of William Barber, but he strikes me as an eight who is this kind of, he does the poor people's campaign. He's a very justice minded. Well, Martin Luther King Jr. is probably an eight, um, very justice minded, very angry at systems of oppression kind of personality. Okay. And it, it seems to me that, you know, Isaiah comes out as that kind of person. Interesting. Okay. Now, okay, I, I have to give voice to what I'm, I'm sure some listeners, maybe a lot of listeners are thinking, they're like, isn't this God's word? Like, doesn't the Holy Spirit kind of override this stuff? Like, why are we, yeah. um, you know, so let's, let's talk more like just inspiration and the divine quality yeah. of scripture and how that works into this. Are we overplaying the human so, quality? Or? So I want to ask you that question. Because you're going you're gonna to be more studied on this than me. Uh, Paul is a first century Jew. Yeah. Paul is a male. Yeah. Paul studies under what? Gamaliel? Gamaliel. Uh, yeah. Is going to have a background. Does that influence anything that Paul writes? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, I, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to give voice to that, but I am definitely – Especially yeah. as, uh, you know, b- people that are more like biblical studies people instead of like maybe systematicians. So I'm more of a biblical studies guy. Like I do um, tend to maybe not, I don't think emphasize to a fall. I think just rightly try to honor the humanity of the biblical authors um, when yep. we're interpreting their letters um, where inspiration, where my sort of presupposition of inspiration or infallibility or whatever might come into play is I don't think that yeah. there's going to be just blatant 
contradictions between say Jesus and Paul, even though I'm fine with some yep. really strong tensions or even like James yep. and Paul, you know, to me, like, yeah, James said something as close as you can almost get to a contradiction. I, th- I think there's an explanation that I think there's more cohesion than maybe some people would say, but I'm fine. With, I don't need, I don't need to iron it out. Like I think they had very different emphases and um, same with, you know, there's a reason why, Protestants resonate with Paul's letters and Catholics resonate with the gospels, you know, and, and I like yeah. that. Uh, I think it's fine to say that, uh, yeah, if Matthew and Paul sat down in a theological conversation, it's not like they'd just be crossing each other's T's and dotting each other's eyes. Like they might be wrestling <laughs> with stuff, you know, like, um, clearly there's distinct personalities, even Jew Gentile stuff that goes into it. Um, and yes, I do think the, the maleness of the, writers doesn't mean they're all misogynist whatever but i think it that did bring a perspective so um yeah so i i think it's i guess my only concern would be like you said it's like the enneagram or even personality tests we have we have such limited data to go on i mean it's like we're going off of you know even paul be proud of the most let's assume that luke's portrait of paul is accurate in the book of acts in scholarship that's widely debated um okay so let's just assume it's totally accurate. You know, we've got the book of Acts and 13 letters of Paul. And the, yeah, let's assume Paul in authorship of all 13 letters. We still don't have yep. much to go on. I mean, what if some people took 13 emails from Jeff Cook, um, you know, and <laughs> sure. um, yeah. and a biography that would take, you know, uh, a, a couple hours to read. It's like, well, that's a snapshot of my life. You're trying to tell me who I am based on a tiny glimpse of a few emails and you know, a, a tiny portion of my life through, through the lens of somebody else, you know? So I, I think our data is really limited at the same time. Everything you said, it does seem to fall into place based on the data we do have. So I'm, yep. I, I think it's worth, I, I think it's a, wor- a worthy um, thing to explore, you know? Um, the you, you mentioned something and this would be the big thing for me on this as a philosopher, presuppositions matter. And if you if you can just come in and say, here's my presuppositions, this is just what I'm assuming in order to get the ball rolling. And this might be helpful on the backside or not. But I like saying, let's just let's if I presuppose this type for Moses, if I presuppose this type for Peter, notice some of the stuff you can do with that. And it can be fun. Yeah. Hey, and, I wouldn't say it necessarily would alter well, let me think. I'm just gonna think it out loud. Would it alter a previously held interpretation of Paul if we had a better understanding of his personality type, or would it just maybe help us get a full, uh, maybe a full understanding of what he was saying? Or, for instance, yeah. like that, the, the confrontation between he and he and Peter. If if we just see that in black and white without even considering different personality types, um. We're going to read that passage in that situation slightly differently. We're going to absorb it differently, maybe, and even maybe apply it differently than if we understand these are probably two personality types, and there's a reason why each one did what they did. You know, I don't know. Yeah. The what's been helpful for me is naming um, the good that each type brings into the world can be real valuable in looking for the value of uh, what the book is, what what the text is. So, for example, um, my wife is a three, 
threes are often called the achiever. They're very focused on excellence and they, they embody the glory of God. They're fantastic leaders. Um, they demand attention in their, their, their way of engaging the world. Um, but some of the best leaders that we have end up being threes who are able to elevate everyone else Mm -hmm. into wonderful, worthwhile, uh, collective identity and vision. So I, and if I see that in one of the writers and I can name that, that can be real valuable in saying, this is coming out of the heart of a three and look at the beauties here. Anyway, Ah, what do you you say? No, that's super helpful. Especially if you're one who maybe struggles with certain biblical writers, like I know some people really struggle with Paul, right? Yes. And I think they struggle with Paul on exactly the place that most people struggle with ones is he's so, he's so self-righteous. He is so (laughs) concerned with what is right and wrong. He's so black and white. These are common problems for ones in terms of the, because that's how we navigate the world. We want, we don't want to be spoiled. We have a fear of being corrupt inside. And so we want to be right. And that comes out in our defensiveness that comes out in, in how we judge ourselves. And often that judgmentalism can spill over. That's the negative on the positive side as a one myself, when I read second Corinthians, yeah. especially as a one pastor, second yeah. Corinthians is my thought life. Yeah. It is, I have done so much for you all and you don't get it. Let me give you the list of all my achievements and why you should respect me more than you do. (laughs) And it's real helpful for me to read second Corinthians and say, this person who I really admire felt the same way I did. That might be a good way to think about how the Ingram is used practically here. Cause I see, yeah. What do you think about that? I'm real curious. No, that's, that's fascinating. I, yeah, I, um, as a, I guess, as a newly discovered one, I could resonate with what you're saying about Second Corinthians. Um, yeah. Well, okay. Uh, so some people, I, I have been called a three, and more recently a five, based on. Yeah. I don't. I want to say a lot. I think some early online tests that I took said I was a three, um, because I do like I like to. The example I give is if I, you know, if I if I wake up in the morning and and have a to do list, it is like so is like candy to finish yeah. the day checking off that last one. Like, I feel like I was productive today. Um, yep. Is that, that's probably characteristic of threes. Right. But I think the motivation, when you talk about the motivation, it's cause I want to be praised for it. It's like, no, nah, yeah. I don't, no one needs to know about it. Like it's myself. Like I want to know that I was productive today. Um, yep. So I don't, yeah. It's yeah. why, why does it make you feel good? Right. Threes, threes, if threes didn't get to share their checklist with, and so this is real common in my house. My wife shows me her checklist all the time. <laughs> she, a, 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 a bit of wonderful activity for threes who gain their value from the attention of others is to go on a walk by themselves without their phone. And the without your phone is really important because you can't take a picture of your walk to show everybody else where you went and how solid, how the solitude was amazing because that's an accomplishment and you're trying to get your value from the opinions of others. Whereas ones get their value from what they do. Um, achievements are, it's, it's not, I don't need other people to know about my achievements, but I need to do things that make me feel as though I'm good and responsible 
and bringing yeah. health to the I world. I resonate more with that. Like, I don't, yeah, I don't need, yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to ask a question that might be even, some people might, I don't know, heretical, but like, they Come might on. be offended at the very question. What is Jesus? <laughs> Jesus. So <laughs> I will give you the heretical answer because I'm on an island on this one, but I feel like I got a strong case. The common wisdom on this is that Jesus is all the types. This comes out of Richard Rohr's work. Okay. Richard Rohr did the first real work on Enneagram for you know contemporary Christians. His book, The Enneagram, is is it's a uh, the subtitle is a Christian perspective. It's a really a great book. And the end of that, he wants to show how the divine uh, embodied in Jesus, you know, reflects all the types. Um, I generally go against this because I'm, I have the intuition that Jesus was a male circumcised on the eighth day. Again, a first century Jew, um, born in a certain place, died at a certain time. There is something about the incarnation that matters in terms of he is a person just like us. And so my, I, um, I have a strong intuition that that Jesus has a type, and I think it's really obvious when if you if you if you can go there that Jesus has a type. I think his type emerges immediately. Okay, so before you yeah. give your answer to yeah. that, I, I would I would agree with you. Just when you said, you know, yeah. that Jesus is embodying the divine, yada yada. I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. Let yeah, hundred percent divine, but hundred percent human. Like, yeah. to yeah. what does it mean to be a hundred percent human? It means to have. I guess you could argue all of them based on he's the perfect human, but he's also a very, a real human. He wept, he cried, he whatever. Like yep. I, I would, I'm perfectly fine even through the lens of Nicaea um, for having, because of Jesus's humanity, which was the biggest deal in the early church. The first heresy wasn't yep. deny, denying his divinity. It was de- denying his humanity. Um, yep. So yeah, I'm, I'm huge on the side of, I think sometimes we so, diminishes humanity that I love exploring ways in which he was maybe more human than, than we recognize. So, okay. So I'm totally on board with you. What do you think his, let me actually build slightly more on, on what you just said. Cause I think that's a spot on the typing. Jesus doesn't mean that Jesus type is better than all the others. Typing Jesus right. says, what does it look like for this type to be at its absolute best? Okay. And, I can apply that to me as well. How is it that Jesus navigates the sins that Jesus struggles with, the the underlying feelings that Jesus struggles with, that Jesus clearly is tempted? We're, we're shown that in bold letters. Yeah. This is how the devil tempts Jesus. You will, I'll say it in a second here, but the temptations are all the temptations of one of the types. Um, they they all target the same thing. They They all target avoidance of pain and one of the types really struggles with avoidance of pain okay, okay. so turn, turn so turn these stones into bread you don't need to suffer anymore kneel before me you don't need to you don't need to suffer in order to gain the world i know that's what you want you know throw yourself down from this high place everybody will know who you are you don't need to go to the cross come down from that cross is uh, the fourth temptation that's said when he's on the cross um it, take this cup from me it's all about pain so let's talk about sevens. 
<laughs> Dang it! He's so, not a one. I was hoping he'd be a one, but then you said Hitler's a one, so that's not good. So. <laughs> In on the flip side, Gandhi's probably a one. It just shows you okay. how ones ones have just dramatic. Uh, you know, it's it's the it's the thing from C.S. Lewis that uh, a dog can only be so good and so evil, but an angel can be amazing or world destroying. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so we, we're in good company. That's it. You should you should take. Okay, okay. I'll take Gandhi. Not, not Jesus, but you know, Gandhi. Yeah, go with um, Gandhi. So seven. All right, keep going. <laughs> and you're gonna hang yourself. <laughs> So there's a bit. You should text. So my my Twitter handle is Jeff V Cook. If you, if you got thoughts on this, um, sevens are the adventurer, the entertaining optimist. Uh, sevens long to embody the joy of God and offer that joy to others. Um, sevens uh, don't want to be stuck. Very much on the move. Mm-hmm. That might describe Jesus. They have an underlying feeling of fear. And the way that they avoid fear is they move from the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. Um, They create exciting opportunities for others. Sevens are routinely seen as fantastic storytellers. Sevens are pain avoiders. Again, all three temptations seem to me to point towards avoiding pain for Jesus. Sevens can uh, struggle with gluttony or that would be their deadly sin that's often paired with them. And Jesus is known as somebody who routinely is partying. He's eating with people, drinking with people. Um, not that he is a glutton, but the um, yeah. party going personality, I'm going to go to the next thing. I'm going to go do the next thing is very much part of this person, you know, of Jesus character. Um, the uh, sevens have monkey mind. They, they, they're jumping from here to here to here to here very quickly. And if you read the Sermon on the Mount and it's 40 different illustrations, that might be a reason to think of Jesus as a seven. You're going to like this. Having having um, written a book on grace, yeah. I, I've, I have not said this to anyone, but it routinely hits me. The healthiest sevens, I want to say their title should be something like priest. Um, ones should be sanctifiers, twos are lovers, sevens are priests. The thing about priests is they are offering light from heaven to others. That's the role of a priest is I'm going to break open the windows of heaven and let the light shine in. Um, Sevens want to embody the joy of God and joy, as you will know, in Greek is the word charis. And what Jesus as a priest does is he offers the good joy. He offers the good grace. He, He offers the Eucharist to everyone else as a priest. Yeah, just uh, that strikes me. So so my wife is a hardcore seven. So she's going to like it. Except except for the the gluttony thing. She's the opposite. Like, and she doesn't like, and and, like. That can be. Is that that totally fit? I mean, everything you said about seven is like off the chart. My wife, not even a question. But the struggle with like indulging desires, she's the opposite. She would make a fine aesthetic. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so that can be the case. Like sevens can also go very much the, you know, they can be very aware of their gluttonousness and and go towards sobriety as their posture into the world. Like she has um, definitely a partier, but okay. won't, we're very clear, like won't cross that line. I mean, we just take alcohol, for instance, you know, she'll have a glass of wine maybe once a week, twice a week, but she would be the, she would feel so guilty if she like, 
you know, took an extra sip yeah. that she shouldn't have or even indulge in even like, you know, eating a dessert, she's fine eating a couple bites and saying it's it's best not to eat enough. Or she doesn't even really crave it even. So it actually may, might be more of a biological thing with her where she she can go all day without eating and won't even realize it. For me, I'm like, I live for the next meal. Like already right now, I can't wait for lunch. I'm already planning dinner. I'm kind of thinking, you know, tomorrow, should I do intermittent fasting or should I just have a big breakfast? Like I, <laughs> I think about food all the time. <laughs> But, do you do you think that she's a pain avoider? Like, will she will she have difficult time resting in dark emotions? She's a, a psychological pain avoider. Something like, yeah, would be and be very fearful of that. I think, like the thought of, well, I guess it would be any parent, but like losing a kid or something, or any kind of like emotional yeah. pain or a relationship that goes bad is deeply, deeply hurt. But as far as physical pain, she's not. Like, she has a really high pain tolerance. If she really gets hurt, slices her finger, you probably won't hear it. She'll be just like, mm, like, um, but yeah, emotional, relational pain, very, very, uh, very sensitive to that. Yeah. Okay. I'll tell you, like, here would be a difference between the the seven who's closest to me. We is a pastor buddy of mine, and we are routinely talking about politics and how we engage politics is real interesting right now. He is looking for every happy, good story. This is going to be over soon. That's out there. That's all he wants to talk to me about. And I just want to say, no, 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 that's not the right way to think about this. <laughs> Thousands of people are going to die. <laughs> and our conversation just revolves around that. Um, so I don't know if, if that's, like, uh, yeah. is, is that, has this been real hard for her? This, this season of being inside. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, harder than on on me. Yeah, because she is a partier. She is a people person. Yeah. Um, she likes to be out doing stuff. But it, yeah, it's kind of a. There's various levels to it, but I mean, the, um, de definitely the moving from thing to thing adventure. Like, um, we and I, I'm wired a little bit that way. I probably can stay longer somewhere, but I know for her, it's like. You know, let's let's build something, and once it's done, let's move on to something else. Let's go, let's do it. You know, she wants to travel yeah. the world, and um, she, yeah, it's storyteller. When she reads, you know, when I hear her reading to the kids, she's just like acting it out. You know, like loves to like entertain. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah, and, and she's taking the test, and they're all lined up seven, like the party area. <laughs> Perfect. Well, the so I'll be curious on this in terms of like seeing Jesus as a seven. What you'll see is – this was another question I had for you. Paul's vision of the kingdom of God and Jesus' vision of the kingdom of God I think are expressed differently. Okay. And they come out of their type. The kingdom of God for Jesus is routinely a party. It's routinely – this is it's, – it's the world is now in a state of celebration. Um, whereas for – Paul, it seems like the kingdom of God ends up being the world is made whole. The the world is, um, right. yeah, it's made right. And there's nothing wrong with either of those visions. Yeah. They're communicating the beauties of the God they they see or embody. The they're communicating the truths about God through their type, and it's influencing how they communicate. Anyway, that was okay. yeah. I, I, I was I was hoping for your thoughts on that in terms of yeah I don't, I don't know if that works. I have to yeah I think about that a little bit. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I the, the, what about the whole like you know Jesus and judgment though because you do have him 
Yeah. To a certain crowd, though, right? The Pharisees, Absolutely. the religious hypocrites. Yep. Um, but he isn't, because some of you, you, are sevens more optimistic than pessimistic? That'd be my first question. Secondly, I see, I do see kind of maybe a blend of both in, in, in Jesus and his message. Yeah. I think, je- so the scribes and Pharisees want to keep us stuck in this way of understanding God and God's work. Mm-hmm. And that's just unacceptable. God is <laughs> loose and alive and he's going into all the places that you haven't, you know, even considered yet. Yeah. Let me, let me show you this person over here. Who's one, uh, you know, who's a, a Samaritan. And let me tell you about how the, how the Holy spirit is just alive in this person. Wow. That strikes me as a sevenly way to think about things. It's like, I, I think your your laws and tradition are places of stagnation, and that's the one thing sevens hate. Yeah. They do not want to be stuck. They're moving to the next thing. This also comes out like when the people come around and they're like, "We want you to be king. We're gonna we're gonna keep you here, and this is gonna be the place that you stay." That would be, you know, Jesus as a seven is gonna no. That's not what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave immediately. Yeah. You know, in the movement of Jesus, I'm going to the next thing, going to the next thing, just all over that character. I, I can see where you've been right talking way. about this and exploring it could be uh, troubling for for some people. And I, I'm, I don't know, we're, we're the type of personality, yeah. I guess, that we like thinking out loud, exploring things. It's like, hey, there's no threat here. We're not saying this is ex- written in stone, exactly but there's just some interesting things here to kind of like, you know, um, explore. But I, I could see where. Well, I know. I think a lot of, let's say, modern evangelical Christians really struggle with the humanity of Christ. So anything that really pushes into that, um, I think, makes people really nervous because that fear of losing orthodoxy or the slippery slope or whatever. Um, there's, yeah. there's a when Jesus here. I, I, let me pitch this to you because I'd be really curious. When Jesus sits down to give the Last Supper, he says, "I have greatly desired to have this this dinner with you." Desire is a huge word. Um, in the Buddhist tradition, you, you're, you're, you're invited to get rid of all desire, but that's not the Christian tradition. Apparently I have greatly desired to have this meal with you is, is there is something about the desires of God that are apparently important to recognize. Hmm. And that's all that that's all the Enneagram is, is what is your motive? What do you, why does he desire to have this meal with them? You know, yeah. and, and pushing in. So is, is it how about this? Is it acceptable to ask the question, why did Jesus desire greatly desire to have a meal with these guys? Because and if you have God, an answer, that's what God does. <laughs> <laughs> that's not an answer. <laughs> Hey man, we're we're we've got over an hour, hour and twenty minutes. This is the longest yeah. podcast I've done in a while, but uh, we should wrap things up. Why don't um, okay. why don't you just tell our audience where they can find uh, your church, yeah. the work you've done? I know you have a you have a website still, right? Or do you have a blog? And I, I know do. you've written a few books. And um, I'm Jeff Cook. I teach at the University of Northern Colorado. You can find my work at uh, everythingnew.org is where I put my printed material, the debate that Preston and I did on sexuality is there. Um, but the work that I'm doing presently on the Enneagram is around the circle podcast. Mm-hmm. And we do deep dives into all of the types. I've done a lot of work on, on pop culture stuff recently where we go through star Wars characters and the MCU. And, and that's more where 
we're I'm 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 testing out my legs on biblical writers in those spheres. It's like here's some some people who are fake. What what are they? But it's a fun way to get into the text and interpret the text and 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 so anyway, around the circle podcast is where you can find my enneagram work. Awesome, cool man. Well, hey Jeff, thanks for being on the show. It's been this is long overdue, man. I'm glad we connected again. Likewise. And uh, yeah, yeah. Many blessings on your life and ministry, bro. Can you? All right, take care. Thanks, boss.